Well, as Zach was saying, we're going to have communion together. So if the pastors and elders will come forth and we'll wait till we're all served, we could partake together. And while they're passing it out, just remember that there is only one qualification for taking communion, and that is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're not a believer, then don't worry. Nobody is going to judge you. We're glad you're here as a guest and you can pass from taking communion or better yet. Just repent, become a Christian. Now close your eyes and just bow your head, receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart and you shall be saved. And you will meet all the qualifications to celebrate communion with us this morning. Uh, But if you are choosing at this moment not to do that, then we would respectfully ask you to, to pass. The awesome thing or one of the awesome things about taking communion together is it's a great reminder to us as we are serving and worship, we're giving the sacrifice of praise of our lips, and then we are receiving the word of God, and the Lord is working in us and changing us, and we're growing and molding more and more to his image as the Holy Spirit works in us. And there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of action. And communion reminds us that when we were enemies with Christ, he died for us, and he completed the work that we're righteous in him, that we have access to him, we have the Holy Spirit, all through his work on the cross, as he gives his body a sacrifice for us, as his blood was shed for us. It is completed. The work is done. There's a big word called sanctification. As we walk as a Christian, he continues to change us. We're not done. We are not done, but the work of the cross is done. And so that's our righteousness. We're 100% righteous. Even when we were enemies with him, he completed it. So we're going to pray together. Let's all see if we can try and get this thing off the right way. Wait till we we pray together and then we'll partake together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us your body, your body, your sacrifice for us to know that that work is complete and done. When you say it is finished, it is finished. And you ask us, to remember by partaking of this bread together. And we're doing that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. The great mysteries is how Jesus was 100% God and yet 100% man at the same time. Because the Bible tells us in Colossians 1 and in John chapter 1 that he is God in the flesh and that he holds every atom, every cell, everything exists because of him. And yet, as a man, he poured out his blood for us that we would have this righteousness, making a way for us to not only have salvation, not only to be uh, servants of his and saved, but he also calls us friends. And he does that work on the cross. And this fruit of the vine, this, this grape juice, is a representation of his sacred blood hitting the ground for our sins. I have no idea what deep things happened between him and God on the cross, but I do know that when he cried, it is finished. It was truly finished. And so again, let's try and get these lids off. We'll pray and partake together. Lord, you have done the work. I thank you for showing us once again that we're completed in you. That it's your work that brings us here. And as as we continue to grow in you, Lord, we pray that we're constantly reminded by your blood we are made righteous. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together.
Lord, if every mouth that ever lived, is living, and ever will did nothing but confess praise to you, it wouldn't be enough. And so, Lord, we do offer up what little we have to you, and we pray that you would have your way in us and continue to use us so that we could glorify you in the work that you did on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you got your Bible, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We left off chapter 1 by way of reminder. Remember, there's, there's a spiritual war going on. There's a, a relationship issue that is happening between Corinth and Paul. This conflict that is happening has led to some frustration. It, it's led to some conflict of argument. And remember, Paul was being accused of not showing up when he was supposed to show up. He's being accused of having, quote, um, not being a good enough apostle. These super apostles that snuck in started talking bad about him. Remember, he had visited there, and that visit did not go well. He had left, and there was a lot of arguing there. And he has been personally insulted by someone in the Corinthian fellowship, and that's made its way to him. If you'll remember... Paul has begun to make a defense of himself, and he's begun to give an apologia, a response to what's going on there. And we're going to see why, and we're going to see how he handles that. But before we do that, let's talk about the 21st century application. I grew up believing that the church was just a bunch of women and feminine men. You couldn't be strong, that they just want all your money. They don't want you to... Uh, do anything but sing kumbaya and everything's about feelings. And so I was taught growing up that the real men don't go to church. Uh, they go out and they work, and then all the moms and grandmas go there. And maybe you have the same perception, or maybe you have a different one. Maybe you have a different one. Maybe your perception is that the church is a glass house, that it's about our feelings, it is very fragile, we need to be very careful, or just that if there's any kind of conflict, things are going wrong. And we're going to see here in a 21st century application that it is a healthy thing to have friction wherever there's relationships. And there's a time to be strong and there's a time to be meek. There's a time for all these things. And so we want to look at how Paul is dealing with this situation and apply it to our 21st century lives in church. And we want to get a right balance of how to handle conflict, by what um, standards are we being judged, When is it time to step back, and when is it time to push forward? So let's read verses 1 through 2 together as we begin. Did I pray or did I forget? We're doing a double dip just in case. Lord, we do pray that you would sanctify this message and that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would be magnified and glorified through the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was stuttering. I was like, well, even if you did, just do it twice. Okay. (laughs) But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And we looked at this verse last week. Paul's not coming there because he doesn't want to just have another bad visit, another argument like they did last time. That was the last visit. And for some people... It's important for us to be reminded we don't have to jump into every argument. And sometimes it's just not for benefit. There's no gain. If you've been married for any amount of time, you've heard, pick your battles. You know, in spiritual leadership, we need to pick our battles. But some battles are worth fighting. Notice that even though Paul 
is avoiding the visit for a good reason. He's not avoiding the problem. He's addressing it here in this letter. He's going head on after it. And remember, we're going to look at Paul and how to deal with these things. But we are called throughout Scripture in the pastoral epistles. And we're going to look at a lot of things in the pastoral epistles. That just means letters that were written to pastors about how to be pastors. First one being Titus. There's a warning in chapter 3. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Some arguments, some discussions, some conflicts are just a waste of time. They're useless. They need to be avoided. We need to avoid it. We need to avoid just talking about things, just for talking about it, for talking's sake. You know, if we get into a conflict and then everybody just wants conflict resolution, we're just nodding our head, oh, yeah, good, good, yeah, and everybody's feelings are good, but then nothing actually changes, that is not good. That is not good. And some people, that's their demeanor. They just want tranquility. You know, the example that I give is when we're not in alignment with Scripture. There are religious buildings out there in this town today where they have great fellowship, they have great support groups, they have great family structures. They have great kids uh, ministries. And they're handling all these practical things. And they might be great and happy and profitable. But they're going to hell because their doctrine is wrong. See, we don't just want to go for tranquility. We're not, it's not just about feeling good. We need to align ourselves with good doctrine, aligning ourselves with Scripture. Now, Paul is avoiding conflict but he's not backing down from sound doctrine either. And we're going to talk about that. It's going to be important for us to look at how he navigates this. Now, the ultimate example on when and how to have conflict and friction is Jesus. And we're going to look at some aspects of him and how he dealt with some things in a different viewpoint later on in this sermon. But Paul would not only tell that to Titus, the Holy Spirit through Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 2, To pastors, teaching elders, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I can't help myself. Let me insert here a little bit. There are some pastors out there that are very fluent And they're very easy to watch, but they're teaching nothing, nothing. It's just self-help, gobbledygook nonsense. It's just idle babblings. Because if you leave there and you're not closer to Jesus, if you don't have right doctrine, if you're not confronted with sin, if you're not being conformed and sanctified into the image of God, you just leave there feeling good. You just wasted your time. So we're there to be reminded not to strive about words to no, word, to no profit. There needs to be a profit, and we need to be diligent to present ourselves to God. You know, a friend of mine, he jokingly said, you know, Mike, the way to solve all your time management problems between, you know, working and, and serving in fellowship is just don't study and let the Lord lead. You know, just let the Holy Spirit take it. Now, obviously, it was a joke, but we're called to rightly divide the word of truth to be approved by God. Now, we're going to continue now, verses, verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection of the, uh, has already passed, 
and they overthrow the faith of some. That's very serious. So there's a doctrinal issue there. But you see how it began. You know, we need to purveying just talk for talk. If we're just talking to feel good, we're wasting our time. But for some people, that's very important to them. Does that mean that we can be robotic automatons, just be not caring about people's feelings? That's coming up in a minute. We want to see a proper balance. A lot of this is going to be about balance. But if we go through church thinking there's going to be no friction because you have an illusion of what church is going to be like, then you're not going to make it. How many people do you know who got hurt in church? Some relationship issues, some kind of conflict, some kind of friction. They've never been taught how to deal with those things. And their illusion is that, well, church should always be gentle. It should always be about my feelings. And I didn't feel good. They hurt my feelings. I'm not going back. I don't like God anymore. And, you know, I'm, I'm over embellishing, but we all know people like that. My goal is by the end of the sermon today, we've all been equipped on how to handle proper friction, how to go through a proper trial, an argument, a contention, because that's what Paul is doing. The Corinthians are turning against him if they haven't already. And he is showing us how to navigate that. He's showing us his motives. He's showing us how to handle it, how to act, how to speak, and how to deal with anxiety. For some people, you're going to have to be brought back. You are willing to friction with anybody. Friction means fighting. <laughs> you're willing to argue with any way to get your way. Some people, however, need to be pushed because you're not willing to have any friction. You avoid tension. Anything you can do to avoid tension, you're willing to do. And that includes compromise. We don't want that either. Proper balance. In fact, elders are to be judged on how they handle this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, it says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Elders are not to be strife makers. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all able to teach and patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may not know the truth. But notice the balance there. See, an elder is still, they need to correct. They need to be able to bring a correcting word from scripture to bring repentance and change. But they're supposed to do it in gentleness and humility. That's hard because the people that don't like to correct are naturally gentle and humble. The people that are willing to correct are generally not so gentle and humble. You guys can guess which way I lean versus others, but we're to find that balance in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that some of you even reading that are like, oh, gotcha, I got this guy. I got that person. And you're starting to read into it what you want to read into it. To those that are naturally more gentle, you're going to kind of lean towards that. To those that are mostly or more um, confronting, you want to lean towards that. But we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, and we need to look and see that there is a balance to this. It's not too far one way or the other. Only in our spiritual growth, only the Lord can show us exactly a perfect balance. And remember, we want to look to Jesus. He is going to show us how to be good leaders, how to be able to confront when we need to confront, how to be able to back off when we need to back off, how to be patient and loving and turn the other cheek, 
how to be confronting and unbending with truth. Now, we're going to keep this in the background as we continue through this chapter, right? This, this balancing act. And we're going to observe what Paul's telling us. But notice he is avoiding a direct confrontation, but not avoiding the problem. And he's going to continue now in verses 3 through 4. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Having in you all that my joy is in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Now, it's been well said that this chapter, this book, 2 Corinthians, has been written with Paul's tears more than ink. This is a check to me. This is encouraging because as much as I lean on being clear-headed, strong, in control of your emotions, not being affected by them, you know, whatever religious church issue, relationship issue, whatever conflict I'm in, just not showing emotion, being even killed, I am showed that that's not good. That's not good. See, Paul is deeply affected by this situation. It is important to have feelings. I know, I choke the words out of my mouth. I'm being obedient to Scripture. But the Bible tells us it is important. Paul loves these people deeply. And because he loves them deeply, it affects him deeply. Now, how can you deal with a situation like this when you're so emotionally invested? How do you keep cool and even keeled when you feel like you're being attacked by the very people that you love? Remember how Paul started chapter 1? What was that praise? He said in verses 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. With comfort, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, he titled this message, Triumph in Christ. You can't have a triumph unless there's a battle, when, unless there's a tribulation, unless there's friction. There's, you have to have something to triumph through, over, something to triumph over. And here we see that Paul, through all this tribulation and trial, he receives his comfort through that situation, not from the Corinthians, who he loves so much. However they feel is not based on God's comfort. He leans on God. God is the one who's stealing him, encouraging him, even though he's even a bit emotional, even though he's crying over it, literally tears. You know, he's frustrated. He's angry. He loves these people, but he's willing to fight for them. But he's also not willing to just fight them for fighting's sake. And so we see this beautiful balance. Now, we talked earlier about how an elder is supposed to act. And I would say that we're seeing that with Paul, are we not? But how is that fellowship supposed to act towards Paul? You see, in 1 Peter, Peter is writing there about how we're to act to the elders, how the Corinthians should have been treating Paul. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares about upon, for you. He cares for you. And the King James, it says, cast all your anxieties upon him, all your cares. You know, maybe you have a terrible boss at work. And you're like, I, I don't want to submit to this guy. Well, remember, first of all, as a Christian, you're submitting to God first. Your strength is going to come from God. Your ability is going to come from God, not from the people around you. Second, this is the United States of America. Quit your job and get a new one. I mean, people are hiring everywhere. I know a place you can get hired at. You're not slaves. This is in the first century. But our anxieties with confrontation, with submission, with discomfort, cast them on God. Remember, Paul's getting his comfort from God. He's also getting his ability to submit from God. And the Corinthians should have been doing the same. But they're seeking themselves. They're listening to the lies of the so-called super apostles that had come through. Remember, the elders are to act as in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are supposed to submit to our elders as unto the Lord. Now, one only works with the other. It's a wheel. When one's not doing the other, the wheel falls apart. It just falls off. You know, when the, when the elders are leading and correcting in humility and gentleness, but they're still willing to, be, um, to stand up for truth, and the people are submitting to godly authority and the word of God, the wheel starts moving and the, the fellowship is building up. But just one person out of whack, non-submitting, non-gentleness, non-confronting or too confronting, you get a situation like Second Corinthians. For you to be encouraged and realize that God will lead you through these things, but you need to be obedient to God. And to me, I'm encouraged in the scripture because as much as I wish I could just be a robot about things, things do affect me, and that's okay. That's important. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to go off the other side where it's uh, just emotions about everything. We, we can't be controlled one way or the other. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's going to lead us to an issue that's happening in the Corinthian church here now in verses 5 through 11. But if anyone has caused grief, He has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, for to this end I also write, that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I indeed, I have, for for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one. For your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. First and foremost, I hope you're not ignorant of Satan. I hope you are realizing that he will take advantage of a situation. If you lean one way or the other, he'll take advantage of it. He's against us. He wants to cause mischief and problems. But there are two, there are two schools of thought as to what is going on here. First school of thought by many Bible scholars is that this is speaking of the man that insulted Paul directly. And so in verse 5, he says uh, that 
if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. Like I, he's saying, I don't care what, you're, what he said to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. It shouldn't matter to you. You guys should bring him back into fellowship. That's possible. I, I personally am not in that camp. I am in the camp that this is speaking of the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who had an abomination of a relationship. And in 1 Corinthians, which I believe is the harsh letter, Paul told them they had to kick him out, him and his uh, partner, and they had to be excommunicated from the church until they repented. That's my personal opinion. Those are the two schools of thoughts. They both could be right, but I'm right. Maybe. And so now that, that man had repented and wanted to come back into fellowship, and the Corinthians are like, no, 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 you're not coming back. And so Paul is urging them, you need to restore this guy. That What needed to be done is done. There was confrontation. There was conviction. There was repentance. Now it's time for restoration. Now, this is not an absolute. We, we have to realize as a church, there are certain people that are not going to be brought back into fellowship. Now, I'll give you some examples. You know, if there is abuse against children, they're not coming back into the fellowship. Any kind of abuse against a child they're not leaving them back in the church. I pray they go to another church. I pray that they're walking with the Lord. The Lord will forgive them, but corporately they're not coming back. I'll give you some more examples, especially about leaders. The Bible says, Let not many be teachers, for they shall receive the stricter judgment. If a pastor is caught in adultery, he is disqualified. Over. No restoration. I don't know what's going on with people that a man could be caught in adultery, he, quote, repents. Two weeks later, he's opening a church down the street or a month or two years later. As far as the scripture is concerned, he should be disqualified from pastoral ministry for the rest of his life. Go be a minister. Go be a missionary. Go be involved in some kind of other Christian mission. You know, there's other things you can do. But you have disqualified yourself. You're not coming back. Another example is if a, a pastor embezzles funds from the church. You're stealing from the church. And you have a, a time where you step down and then you repent and then you're brought back. No, you're not coming back. Be in fellowship. God forgives you. But that doesn't mean that every time there's repentance, there's going to be restoration. This is a, a unique event. Many times, yes. Now, we're talking about those in leadership and we're talking about children. The last one that I'll give you is false doctrine. If I somehow started teaching that, for example, there's no such thing as hell, which some pastors are starting to do. You should not come back. I should come here Sunday morning and no one should be here because it's false doctrine. And then I repent and then I want to come back. You know, I want to start to. No, no, you've lost the trust of a, of a very important doctrinal statement, like a non-negotiable major issue. We're not talking about minor things. I change my mind on minor things all the time. But on the major doctrinal issue, that is, nope, not coming back from that one. You can be back in the fellowship, sure. Go to a different church, sure. So we don't want to be absolute about this. But that also means, that also means that there has to be confrontation. And that will lead to friction. You see, when sound doctrine is being taught, you need to be able to reproof and correct a brother or sister. There has to be church discipline. You see, you might have grown up thinking that being in church... But being a church leader, being a pastor is like being Barney. You're just nice to everybody. You know, I love you. You love me. We're all a happy family. We hug each other all the time. Oh, you did something bad. It's okay. You may even think that about Jesus. Oh, Jesus is always turning the other cheek. You know, Jesus is always nice. Well, we talked about 
children earlier and how if you abuse children, you're never coming back here ever again. Let's see what Jesus has to say about the situation in Matthew chapter 18, 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's a bit controversial. Now, if you look in your Bible, it is in red letters. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. Jesus says, you touch my kids, I'm going to throw you in the depth of the sea where you're going to drown. And fish are going to eat your, car- your corpse. Like that, that's pretty serious language. Well, that must have been like a one-time thing, right? I mean, Jesus is so nice all the time. See, Jesus is our example that sometimes there needs to be conflict. Sometimes there needs to be a discussion. Not for vain. Remember the earlier verses. We're not arguing just for arguing's sake, but sometimes the line must be drawn. That no, that fantasy that I was taught that the church is just a bunch of nice people being nice where grandma hangs out and knits sweaters is not true. That's not biblical. There is confrontation of sin. And the Lord sanctifies and works in us. I mean, let's look at Jesus' visit to the temple, his visit to church. In John chapter 2, verse 15, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the the tables. Now, Ken Graves, he tells this story the best. It's like he was there. He goes, can you imagine like what it is to make a whip of cords? You're like stringing a rope. The Lord's walking into the temple. He's getting righteous anger. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, hold this. He starts weaving the whip. Peter's looking at him like, Lord, Lord, what you doing, Lord? What you doing? I don't think that he's smiling. I don't think that he's singing. I mean, I wasn't there, but I think Ken Graves was the way he explains it. Can you imagine the look on his face? Oh, mother, I just can't believe what they've done with my house. This is. And he makes a whip of course. He finishes the whip. Y'all. He starts whipping people with it. He starts whipping people and kicking tables over, and money's flying everywhere. Chickens are flying. Pigeons are flying. Sacrificial animals are running everywhere. Rabbis are freaking out with their robes, running away, getting whipped in the face and the back. That's not the Lord. Well, the Lord's house is important to him. Sound doctrine is important to him. And at that point, these people were separating People from seeking the Lord, seeking God himself. Well, you can't do that in church. Hey, the only way you can do this is if you're Jesus himself. All right, none of us is making whips. I know some of you want to. It ain't going to happen. You say, well, you know, sometimes people are mean to me, and they say, they say mean things to me. Well, especially servants of the Lord. You know, Jesus didn't always use nice language. He never cursed. He never blasphemed. But when he confronts the Pharisees about their false doctrine, he doesn't say, oh, I love you guys. Good, good job. Nice try. You know, you'll get it one day. Jesus says in Matthew 23, again, all red letters, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful and outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus telling you this to your face? Okay. I don't think he was smiling when he said it. Verse 28, Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's not done. Verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. You see what Jesus is telling these Pharisees? Calling them corpses, tombs. He called them in another portion of scripture a brood of vipers. He also told them they were blind followers of the blind, leading men into destruction. He said that they murdered the prophets. He called them murderers to their face. He is not nice, but he's confronting truth. Now remember, it's all about balance because this same Lord with the woman of the well, she comes to get her water. She's living in an adulterous relationship. She's not married. She's been married multiple times. How did he treat her? With utmost gentleness. Not even a single condemning word to her. He is so patient, he's just asking questions, answering her questions, until ultimately she figures out that he is the Lord. And he used completely different language for her. It's so beautiful. We cannot build these illusions that church is without conflict, that church is without good, proper discussion. But at the same time, we need to avoid arguments for just argument's sake. We need to avoid vain arguments over nothing. We need to be peaceable and gentle. But we also need to be submissive and obedient. I know that is the most un-American word on the planet, to obey. It's like, obey, I'm free, I'm American. But as Christians, we are taught to obey willfully submit to authority. And we all do it. We all do it. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. You ever sat there at the stoplight, four-way stop, no cars anywhere in sight? I was telling the story earlier at Vandenberg Air Force Base. I worked there for a little while. They have this four-way intersection. It's all green grass, and you can't even look at the green grass. You'll get in trouble. You can't, don't you dare walk on it. But they, have a, they had a street light there. There's no sensors. You know what that means? It's on a timer. That means no cars there, and you're literally looking at the red light. And you can see all the way around. There's no buildings. It's all green grass. You can see nobody's coming. How many of you have thought to yourself, I'm just going to go for it? Nobody's going to know. But you sit there, and you submit to authority. No matter how frustrated you are, you sit there, and you submit to the authority until finally it turns green. You finally go. You might burn out a little bit and protest. (laughs) You're a little frustrated. But we all are called to submit to authority, most importantly, godly authority based on Scripture. Context, context, context is the most important thing here. The Corinthians need to restore this man. They had proper discipline. He submitted to the discipline. He needs to be restored. We looked at how that's not always the case, but it was in this case. And we, too, need to be able to navigate life as Christians to realize we are not called to be weak. We're not called to obey just anything but sound, right doctrine. It's a fun fact. It's very fascinating to read the arguments of pastors in the United States in the 1700s as they were debating whether or not they could rebel against the king. And those are very, very good sermons to read. I I highly recommend them. How can you rebel against Romans chapter 13, the authority of And they went to Scripture. They said that the Bible overruled the king and that they were in disobedience by not rebelling. Fun fact. You can check it on your own. 
for us. We cannot simply avoid conflict just for avoiding conflict's sake. And some of y'all need to stop going into conflict just for conflict's sake. We need to be rightfully dividing the word of truth, and we need to be growing in grace. Now, one last thing, because this is very, very important. Paul's not writing these words just for them to agree. What does Paul want them to do? Bring the person back into fellowship. You need to obey. And I'm terrified, just like maybe Paul was worried, that you're only going to hear the parts of this sermon that you want to hear. You're only going to gravitate to the parts that you want, and you're going to be a hearer of the word and not a doer only. See, Paul needs them to do what is being written, bring the guy in. We need to apply these texts to us, and it's not a sermon for the other person. This sermon is written for you. You are to apply it to you. And if you're thinking, well, I got somebody else in mind I'm going to send this to, I'm going to transcribe it to really make sure they get the message. You need to apply it. Remember, our goal is to have right conflict at right times with right reactions. That's what we want. We want right conflict at right times with right reactions. We can't avoid conflict just because we don't like it. We can't avoid values. We need to confront them. But we need to have right reactions to those conflicts. Be under control, but also care. You know how difficult it is? You're not going to receive any rebuke or correction from someone that doesn't actually care about you. But if they really care about you, you will listen. And we need to apply the same to ourselves. Well, let's read verses 12 through 13. It says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, we're just going to camp here for a second, but I want to be a Titus. You know, there's people in your life, you want them around you. Notice, Timothy is getting no love from the Corinthians, nothing. But he says, there's no rest in my spirit without Titus. He knows that Titus is there to serve with him. And when Titus isn't there, he's grieved in his spirit. Man, I'm hurting. I need Titus to help me out. I want to be like that. I want to be a person that other people want to be around. That when I do give a word of correction, they want to hear it. When I'm giving a word of encouragement, it means something. When I give my word, people trust it. And we need to be the same. We need to be a Titus in our relationships, in our church, in our fellowship, in leadership, in business. Be a person that people want to be around. The question is, some of us, people don't want to be around you. So just take it to the Lord. Allow the Lord to work in you, and he'll change you, he'll mold you, he'll make you. And now we'll continue in verses 14 through 17. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. In this defense, he's using an analogy, but his defense is, I'm not doing all this for money. I'm not doing this because I'm hired. I'm doing this because of the gospel. And so he's bringing back the gospel. But he's using this illustration that we don't quite get, this fragrance, this incense. And what he's talking about 
is when the Roman Empire had a great campaign victory or they won a war, they would take the captives of the defeated and all the gold and everything they stole from that land that they conquered, they'd bring it to Rome in a giant parade. And the general would be on a great chariot and they'd have incense going to smell real good, confetti and music and bands and marching. And that fragrance to those that had won, the champions, that's a great smelling smell. You're going to remember that. Oh, I remember that smell when we won against Germania, when we won against the Gauls, when we won against the uh, nation of Israel in in the 70, 70 AD, I believe, 72 AD. They win these victories, and they have these marches. But what does that smell like to the captives, the slaves? You're, you're going to be put into slavery, or you're going to be put into gladiatorial games to fight to the death, and you, and you will die. They're setting you up to fail. That smell is the smell of death. It's the smell of sorrow. Well, Paul is saying that this fragrance of Christ, of the gospel, is just heavenly to the Lord and to us who are believers. How many people do you know you share the gospel with you and they turn up their nose? Oh, gosh, they're rejecting it. To them, it's the fragrance of death. It's the fragrance of damnation. They're rejecting the Lord. They're choosing. They're choosing to not follow him. Paul is saying here, my priority is preaching this gospel. That's my priority. His priority is not making the Corinthians happy, but he's also not going to avoid the conflict. He loves them. He can't leave them alone. He loves them. And it's because he serves Christ that he gets his comfort from the Lord. He gets his strength from the Lord, the spirit from the Lord, the words from the Lord. Everything comes from God and back to God. But he's going to continue to to minister. And that's how we can triumph in Christ. It's the title of our message. We triumph in Christ for Christ. See, we're not going to avoid all conflict. There are times when we need to. We need to. The Lord is our victorious general, and we follow after him. And he will give you the strength, either the strength to be patient, to be gentle and humble, or the strength to stand up for what is right when it's time to stand up for what is right, realizing that people will get their feelings hurt. But the gospel of Christ is far more important than people's feelings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word for your grace, for your truth. And I pray that you would encourage us and that we would apply this word in our walk, that we wouldn't be just hearers, but we'd be doers, Lord. I thank you for revealing these issues within the Corinthian church because it helps us to get a right understanding of church and discussions and friction and growth. I pray that you would help us and lead us wherever we're at, Lord. And I pray that you would Use all these things for your glory in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share stories with you. There'll be other brothers and sisters up here to pray. God bless you and have a wonderful week.